welcome to the North Witch Podcast with your hosts, Azario Flame and Sandra Von Holland. In this podcast, we explore all the things that can help us to be better and improve our lives in body, mind, and spirit. Looking at everything from witchcraft, sorcery, woo-woo, spirituality, biohacking, the mundane, and everything in between. We occasionally have on guests from various backgrounds, practices, and philosophies. We welcome everyone from all walks of life, from the left-hand path to the right-hand path, from the medical to the holistic, from the woo-woo to the scientific and everything in between. We have conversations and discussions about our experiences over the years, what works for us, what hasn't worked, and explore new theories and science, trying them out, seeing what works, and debunking what doesn't. Thank you for joining us on this wicked adventure along the crooked path as we adventure into the mysterious and wonderful world and welcome what truly works for us to become better witches, sorcerers, magicians, and our best selves so that we can live our best lives. May these conversations help you to ignite the light within. The views expressed by our guests on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of us here at Northwich Magic Co. All of the information shared on this podcast is anecdotal and shared for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical or financial advice. Always consult a doctor, physician, or professional in their field before trying any of the things that may be discussed on this channel. Magic and holistic healing should work alongside allopathic care when necessary. Okay, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Northwich Podcast, and we have Sarah Mastros back on with us again today. Sarah is Yay! the author of the Orphic Hymns Grimoire and the Big Book of Magical Incense, and she has her own business running through witchlessons.com. So how's it going today, Sarah? Very well. How are you guys? We're doing really good, actually. Great. The, the, the world Great is changing things. crazy fast over here now, and we've yeah. we got a new trajectory going on, and so we're kind of right. nervous-sighted moving into the near future here, so it's, it's going to well, be... Well, that's fun. a good word. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah, so, yeah, so you've been obviously very busy because you you were just showing me all of your lovely incantation bowls there so what's uh what's the story going on with them what what's uh what do they do and they look really cool all right so <laughs> let me show an example first so this is the way i make them right so they're modeled on a kind of like amulet for the home from mostly iran iraq and syria from like the sixth to maybe ninth century CE. They're usually called Babylonian incantation bowls or Babylonian demon bowls. Um, one of the things I really like about them is because they are an artifact, like a physical artifact, we find them like in situ. So we can learn a lot about like where we find them. So we find them like buried at the doorway of a house or sometimes the corners, but we also have sociological data because they're, they're written on them and the formulas on them usually include the name of the magician and the name of the client who sponsored them. And so like that gives us a lot of information about like who made them and why. Um, and so they're almost, the ones that we find are almost always for like home protection from like demons and malicious spells and whatnots, right? Um, but I think we do find them for other purposes. So every once in a while, you'll find one that's like clearly a love spell or find one that is like, there's a cool one for like business success. I actually think that, you I know, 
the fact that they we think they're always about home protection i think might be about like because those are the ones that get like buried like under the the threshold of a house i actually think it's partly that we're more likely to find those because i think as a magician if i was making them for some other like if i was making one that was a love spell i would probably break it after it worked do you know what i mean like i wouldn't necessarily bury it under my house for that kind of magic so i think the fact that they're really skewed toward protection might partly be just like a bias in where they survive it's for us to find them but i do think you know because the text on them normally like spirals in and then in the middle there's often like a picture of a demon bound in chains i really think like to me that spiral and the fact that they're like bowl shaped kind of indicates that it's like a trap do you know what i mean that the spirit gets in and can't get back out so that's what i think that's how i think of them is as traps um and they're they're almost always written in like the vernacular of the person who made them which in the case of these bowls is often aramaic and then they usually include the old this this like magical technique definitely started in the jewish community right so the earliest ones we find are sort of like very jewish right like the the god names are all hebrew and the name of both the magician and the client is jewish but these are occurring in like a very multicultural environment. So real quickly, we start to find Jews selling them to not Jews, right? So the magician's name is Jewish, but the client's name is, and you can't always tell, right? But like, if the client is named like Ishtar, we can probably imagine that person's not Jewish. Just like when I meet somebody named like Christopher, I think to myself, probably not a Jew. Right, yeah. um, right. Because I mean, not. But I do know Jews named Chris, so it's not like a foolproof system, right? But you can, because they have these names on them, you can really watch the cultural diffusion. And then over time, they start to get made by everybody, and they start to include even the ones that are clearly made by not just Jews, but Jews with like a high level of like Jewish education, like they're they're Hebrew, which is not their vernacular language, right? Like their everyday language is Aramaic, not Hebrew. Yeah. But like they're clearly very like highly educated in Hebrew, some of them, right? And there's a big, you know, this area is like the center of Jewish learning at the time. Like the big Jewish universities are all there. So a lot of these people are probably, the magicians are probably the graduates from there, but they are still making bowls that are in addition to Hebrew God names, like also full of pagan God names, which is a thing I always like. So I just... I, I know I'm like such a nerd, but I just think these bowls are so cool. <laughs> and, you know, I've made them before, but for whatever reason in the last, like, well, partly, you know, I've only ever made them like custom for a client. Like a client comes to me looking for like a particular kind of like curse breaking or protection. And sometimes this is what I would do, but I've started to make them sort of like off the rack. And we know that that's one of the things that like the originators of this, I'm just going to call it like a magical technology. We know they were doing it because in some cities, like Mipur is a particular like city that's been excavated. There were like maybe a dozen of these bowls that were obviously identical. Like they were clearly made by the same, like the wording is exactly the same. And they clearly like left a blank where the person's name goes because the name is filled in in like a different handwriting and like doesn't really fit in the space that they shoved it into. And so to me, that's clearly that like one afternoon they just made like 30 of these 
and then slap people's names. And, and then this is cool. Sometimes we find them, they're not, they're not written at all, right? They just have like, you know how if you like wanted to make some fake writing, you would just kind of like draw some squiggles? That's yep. what it is. It's called, it's called pseudo script. And like, it's not actual writing. And people posit that like these were made by illiterate magicians to sell to other illiterate people. Like, and they were just- That's interesting. I don't want to say they're fraudulent because like you could definitely make, you, you could do the same magic without the writing. So I don't want to say exactly that those bowls are fraudulent, but they're like, I think the person who bought them thought it had magic words on it, but actually it had little squiggles on it, I guess is what I will say. Right? <laughs> but that's also cool. So I've been experimenting also with some like less written ones. So, right, so I, I've been like playing around with some other like things. I don't know. I, for, I really can't explain why, but they're just super fun to make. So I've been making them on these like terracotta saucers and if people want to make them themselves, like these Sharpie oil pens, having experimented now with a variety of kinds of ink, these are, I think, the best for them. And and the ones, the ancient ones are like not, the materials are not fancy. They're like the exact same kind of bowl that they used to eat out of. And it's just like the regular ink that they wrote everything with. Like it's not a fan, they're not made out of anything fancy. Like the magic is in the words. And that's just a you know, I, I like that. Like that's maybe I, I'm into word magic, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Although now, do I'm you think, do you think that, um, it, like I saw that you just did one with a spiral, like, uh, mm -hmm. I've seen numerous different, uh, exorcism traps or spirit traps or whatever done with a spiral pattern. So do you think that it would be able to be, you know, like if somebody, again, going with what you said, couldn't speak the language, you know, like say they aren't able to read or write Hebrew or whatever. Although again, these are made in there every, just like I'm doing them in English, they're doing them. They look like they're in Hebrew because their everyday language is Aramaic, which uses the same alphabet, okay. but they're like not in a sacred language. It's just a regular everyday language. So like you could probably transfer it to like a sigilized language or turn it into like even use a Latinized alphabet if you oh, knew the technology you were doing. I mean, right? again, I do them in English. Like I do English on the inside, like the actual petition. And then I've been putting like Hebrew, you know, the, the historical ones are usually empty on the outside, but because I'm using saucers, I just have this like, flat space that it feels like it's just like wants me to put something there so i've been putting things there awesome um yeah you could here's the thing you could make them all kinds of ways at a certain point i think you have to like like you're not really making a babylonian style incantation bowl anymore you're making like <laughs> yeah for sure an amulet shaped like a bowl but i don't i don't feel any like i'm i'm not a big believer in like either like orthodoxy or like historical reconstruction in my magic. Like, you know what? I've been using these metallic Sharpie pens on some of them. And if you're trying to tell me that that eighth century magician wouldn't have used a silver pen, like if he had a silver pen, he definitely would have used it because it's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Or like, or like laser engraving Salomonic pentacles. We maybe even talked about this last time. I'm not sure. Like there's actually a whole story in Talmud where Solomon goes on a quest to find like a magical engraving tool made out of light. So if you're telling me that he wouldn't use a laser cutter if he had one, like he definitely would. Or like 
Like if Solomon, oh, Solomon would never like mix pagan gods into his magic. Like, I don't know what you're talking about because the Talmud, the rabbis complain about him doing that constantly, <laughs> right? So like, I don't really, I don't really understand the motivation for orthodoxy and magic. To me, it just seems like perhaps contrary to the spirit of sorcery, which I think of as like a pretty non-orthodox activity to be engaged in. So yeah, you can definitely make them in sigils. I've been experimenting a lot with like secret alphabets, right? Like what Austin Spare would call like a, a, a an alphabet of desire, yep, I guess sure. I think is what he calls it. Um, so I've been playing with that a lot. You could definitely make them in that. You could definitely make them fully like non-written, right? But of course, again, at a certain point, are you still making so like? It, it clearly was inspired by that because that's what inspired you. But at a certain point, is it still that? Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, yeah, from my point of view, like so, sort of the core features of particularly Babylonian incantation bowls are that it does have this like incantation text on it, right? That the primary like magic to it is the text. And there's a lot of text, but they all basically go like I and then like the magician and then they will like assert where their magical power comes from, right? So like yeah. I, Sarah Masters, clad in the mantle of Solomon, magician king, or I, Sarah Masters, daughter of the house of Jacob, or like I, Sarah Masters, initiate of the order of the Caduceus, or like whatever it is you're gonna assert, right? And then you basically say like, I am writing this bowl too, and then you put some stuff. And then you're just pretty clear, like I'm gonna protect this person and their house and their family and their livestock and et cetera. And then you like list some people, and then you like in the name of, and then you just kind of like string together some magic names. And truthfully, some of them, when I read them, I don't, some of them are like baffling to me why they would have this particular assortment of names. <laughs> like some of them, it makes perfect. Like I understand, I'm like, okay, this is a bull to like protect against miscarriage and it's got like El Shaddai on it. it makes perfect sense. Like I understand, or it's like, binding against Lilith to ensure a pregnancy. That makes perfect sense. But sometimes it'll be protecting a pregnancy and it'll be like Hephaestus and Uncle Joe or something. Like it's just like, some, <laughs> I don't know where they, but I'm sure that made sense. You know what I mean? I'm sure there was a reason that they picked them. Like, I don't actually think they just took their big book of magic names and opened to a random page and pulled some stuff out. But it does sometimes seem that way to me. <laughs> Like, so it's a really big, you know, these, these bowls were made like, you know, over a relatively wide geographic area for hundreds of years in a very multicultural environment. So they're not even all shaped like bowls, right? Like some of them are, are like wine glass, what we would think of as like a wine glass shape. It's a very sort of broad category. You know what I mean? So there's basically that kind that are sort of positive. I'm going to provide protection. And there's another kind which are basically like a, a spirit banishing or spirit trap where it will like name kinds of demons. So the most common kind of demon they protect against is Lilith's, Lily to Liliat, right? Which is at this time, not a specific named creature, but a category of demon, Lilith's. And then there's other kinds. Ashtarts, which I think would be a cool name for a punk band like Lilith and the Ashtarts. That's similar like Ashtarath, but instead of thinking it's a proper name, it is a category of things. And something I think is cool that like I learned from Mies, 
but is actually quite common sort of in that region and time period is that like a banishing is written as a divorce decree. Like if you look at like, like I divorce Lilith, take your get and get a get is like a, it's a divorce decree, but it's also the like lump sum alimony payment, I guess. It's, it's like a payment that, the get is the actual contract, but in in this context, in this period, they are also saying like, I'm gonna give you this amount of money and just get the fuck out of my house, woman, right? Like that's how it goes, right? Like we're done. Um, and it's the same with the demon. Like they're written, like if you compare them to actual divorce decrees from the time, they're like word for word the same. Um, they're just divorcing the demon instead of divorcing their spouse. And I think that's a really cool, it's a cool formula. Like it's not a way I necessarily would have thought about doing an exorcism. Neither um, would I have, but it makes yeah, right? sense. It makes, it makes perfect, perfect sense. sense. Yeah, and, and you know, Judaism, because of the way, Ju in Judaism, marriage is really understood contractually, right? So like, it's not just that you say vows, but there is like a specific written contract called a ketuva, which in a modern context is basically a prenup. Like it outlines, yeah, I, I have a Jewish religious scholar sitting opposite me on the desk and she's like looking at me like, that's not exactly true. Like, I understand that is a gross oversimplification. <laughs> like it is a contract that, no, I mean, you're right. So this is my friend, Anna. She's a, she's a Harvard educated religious scholar about Judaism. She studies de books and like cross-cultural spirit possession. She's, you guys should have her on sometime actually. She's really cool. Anyway, she's looking yeah, at me like- that up, hook us up. <laughs> yeah, I'll hook you guys up. Um, <laughs> I, that is a gross oversimplification, but like it, the point is the ketuva, it outlines like the rules for how the marriage will work, but it also explicitly talks about like what happens in a divorce. And they're largely formulaic. There's like a way you do them. And then in a modern context, people get them like fancy calligraphy. Like it's also like a, a marriage amulet sort of. Anyway, but because, and then similarly like divorce is a very like, there's like a piece of paper you need with a specific like ritual formula on it to make a divorce be true, right? And, and like the idea of using that same kind of contractual law with spirits, I just think it makes me think a lot about like, in addition to writing a banishing as a divorce decree, like what would it be like to write like a ketuva as a kind of like magical pact, right? Like when you, when you enter into compact with a spirit, like thinking about that as a marriage is, I don't know, an interesting way to think about it for me. Well, it is. And I mean, it can be, you know, a somewhat binding contract if it's, you yeah, know, exactly. if, if it's somebody that you have worked with for a time or, you know, perhaps it's, you know, like a regional thing, like you said, you know, if you've got, you know, the Lily twos or the Ashtoreths or whatever that are right. of the area, you know, you would be kind of almost like a subletter of their area, right? If you mm -hmm. want to think of it like a renter of the land, so to speak, right? So, right. you know, I'm going to divorce myself from the patron of this land or, you know, whatever. Yeah. That's, that's, how I would see that anyway. Exactly. And and no. same, like that made me think about expanding it out, not just from there to like other kinds of contracts, right? Like leases and uh, it's just an interesting, you know, so often when we talk about contract magic, it's in like a really weird, dark, like kind of Faustian way. But like, you know, when I do business, like when I read a contract, I'm trying to get everybody exactly what they want. Like I'm not trying to cheat anybody when I read a contract, right? Yeah. And so like similarly, like when I write contracts with spirits right i'm i'm actually trying to give everybody what they want in that situation yeah 
anyway, so that's, that's like, for whatever reason, I'm super into those that this week, I don't know. <laughs> this week. I do know why. I, it, I mean, it, it started off because Michael's had these clay saucers on sale. <laughs> like that's actually why I suddenly, am in, because I found a stuck, I was walking around the craft store and I was like, oh, these clay saucers are 79 cents. I'm just going to buy a bunch of these. I bet this would make cool demon bowls. And they do. And so that's why they're like, I often find truthfully that like the particular kind of magic I want to make this week is often about like what cool new craft supplies I got. You know what I mean? Like when the, when the wormwood is fresh, that's what I'm like excited about making wormwood potions or like whatever I just happen to have that's new that week is inspiring. We're, we, we're, I think we all find that. I think so. Yeah. Zariel did that today because we had a, a client that needed a different project and then what she needed, then he turned into this other great idea that will be mm -hmm. coming up soon. It's like, so whatever comes to our world at that time, it's like, whoa, this will be way better if we do it into whatever. Yeah, right. I think, I think sometimes like, you know, there are techniques that are particularly well suited for like certain kinds of magical goals. But I also think broadly, like most magical techniques can be used for like most goals. Yeah. If you like know what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, and, and just like there. flexibility with your materials is a big thing too, right? Like, as, mm -hmm. and we've learned this hugely with the pandemic, right? Because, you know, mm -hmm. if I've been making, you know, let's say an altar tile out of slate for the last, you know, three years, and then all of a sudden now I can't get slate out of Hong Kong for two years, well, uh -huh. I'm obviously going to use the natural stones around me or, you right. know, whatever I can find, right? right? Well, I'm a big believer that like, I'd always rather use like just natural things i i prefer to make my magic out of things that i like picked up out of the dirt <laughs> yeah and whatever's on sale at the craft store basically that's awesome <laughs> or the grocery store i mean i'm a very i don't really like to make the same thing over and over is really what it is so like i'm really into these babylonian eagles but in a month i'm gonna be like oh i never want to make another bowl <laughs> yeah, right? like i just so i'm gonna make a bunch of them and then next month i'm sure i'll have some new obsession which it'll be june so we'll probably be a plant-based one like things we in the garden will check in awesome. and see what, yeah. what sure. came up in june right <laughs> I, i'm totally feeling that plant-based pole it's finally mm -hmm. up here in canada we're finally seeing no snow and mm -hmm. like the trees are starting to bud so i'm all itchy to go up and do some wild crafting and we, we stock up <laughs> we had snow the last week in April here in Pittsburgh, which is maybe not unprecedented, but is unusually late here. <laughs> so I too am excited to finally like get into the garden. Yeah, we don't write anything into our schedules until after May long weekend up here because we pretty mm -hmm. much are guaranteed to be covered in snow <laughs> pretty much until then. So yeah. pretty, pretty excited to be able to get out and actually do magic outside. You know, right? When you can go out in the air, it doesn't hurt your face when you're <laughs> doing exactly. sorcery. Although I don't know, I, I feel like for me, I don't like the heat. So I really only have like two more weeks and then it'll just hurt on the other way. <laughs> <laughs> like if I have to pick between like, you know, 10 degrees and 90 degrees, I would definitely take the 10 degrees. All right. You got to come hang out with us up here. Yes, please. We can, we can accommodate that. All right. Well, <laughs> you tell me when I can move in and I'll come. <laughs> I seriously still have snow piles in my yard. Oh seriously. my gosh. Yeah. That's exciting, but I'm sure it wouldn't be. No, no. I, like I'm sure I'd be super sick of it. 
but yeah, broadly, I'd, I'd rather be too cold than too hot. Like my <laughs> So now I, now you got me thinking on those bowls. So you said they're empowered with um, just the words are empowered, but you you see them with lots of different deities and stuff. So are, are you empowering them through spoken word as you're writing them? Like, is it like a Vocus Magicae type thing? Or are you consecrating it to each of the deities or gods that you are writing into it? Like, how, do, how does the well, actual like kind of tech work for making that into a spirit trap? So here's the thing, I can't, we can't say what they did in antiquity, right? Because we don't have any like instructions for how to make these, we just have the finished product. Yeah. So what I do is first I consecrate the pens. Like I have pens that I only use for magic, right? Yeah. And then I sort of wake up the bowl, right? So here, right? I'm gonna take an empty bowl. And I'm just gonna kind of like wake it up a little, you know what I mean? Which is partly about like, well, partly I will say they often are covered in clay dust. So partly there's a very practical where I'm like wiping the dust off because otherwise it clogs up the pen, right? But I'm also just sort of like, for me, the essence of almost any kind of like, I just call it awakening of like materia is that like, this is an object and this is a person, right? Like that's what I'm doing when I awaken something, sure. right? And similarly with like plant materia, it's sort of dead and I'm kind of like reminding it that it's it's actually a living being, it's a person, right? You gotta like wake it back up, right? So there's like a physical that. And then I almost always like compose them on paper first, like figure out what I'm gonna write before I actually write it because Although now that I've made like 30 of them this week, I've started to just like kind of <laughs> extemporize, like I kind of have a hang of it. But especially when I'm making them for clients with like unfamiliar name, because, okay, I know this sounds ridiculous, but like it's, see how this like the text actually just fit and I didn't have a big gap in the middle and I also didn't have to smoosh everything in at the end. It, it, it's surprisingly hard to get them to place out. So I encourage you when you're writing them, when you're composing them, to like kind of write them one sentence at a time. So like you could remove a sentence and it will still work. And then kind of keep an eye on how much space you have to make sure, right? So I write them and I am very, I do like speak them out loud while I write them. And like, then when I put in the, the holy names, I do like, I'm moving my hands around as if that conveys some meaning. You know, I do like, vibrate that name I guess is how we say it yeah. like I do empower the name as I write it yeah, and then sure. at the, yeah and then at the end I go back and seal them which for me is mostly I don't know see how this has like this red lip on it yeah that's really the last phase that I do with like a pen is I just take usually red or gold and I just like kind of put a hard boundary around it right and then at that point like they're physically done being crafted and then I consecrate. So the first thing I do is like cast a circle around the edge. And then I kind of put like a, you know, they're written in a spiral. So I just kind of like awaken up that like, I kind of want it to be like a vortex that sucks things in, I guess is Absolutely. what I'm saying. And then when I'm making them for me, I put like, if I was making one for my house, I'd put like a tiny drop of my own blood in the middle as like bait, basically, right? And yeah. then I feed them oils which is one of the reasons I like these oil pens. I, I tried a number of pens before I found one that didn't bleed when you coat it in oil. So these will actually like, you can pour oil in this and it doesn't mess it up, yeah. right? Yeah, um, so 
pretty standard it, just awaken the materia feed the materia you know yeah. treat it like the spirit that it is and, right and so when i make them for other people what i tell them is that like they are pre-awakened so all you have to do you like you don't have to do anything you can just like put it by your door and it's done but then mm -hmm. like it's better to just sort of like you know remember that it's a person and so like introduce yourself and welcome it to your house and like explain what its job is and then walk it around the permit of your house and like show it like introduce it to the people it's going to protect and then i really think this is the most important part of like keeping it awake is like when you leave the house like give it a name like people have names right so in addition to the holy names on the bowl the bowl itself has a name which i think of as like secret in the sense that I don't write them on the bowl. Like I know the bull's name and people who live in the house know the bull's name. I'm sure they don't. I mean, I told them, but truthfully, I'm pretty confident my roommates do not remember those sort of things. Um, <laughs> like, but like every time I leave the house, I'm like, thank you name for looking over my house while I'm going to be away. And then when I come back, I'm like, hello name. Thanks. Like, good job keeping the house from burning down. And like, I treat it like a person and I like to sort of just feed them some oil maybe once a month now and again like I don't think this is one of those like every full moon like just you know yeah, from time sure. to time to just kind of like keep it awake which I think broadly is the case with with almost any kind of amulet I make right there's some amount of like formal consecration that for me I generally do during the making process but not always. So like Solomon and Pentacles, sometimes I just laser cut them and mm -hmm. then like do that. But it's really the same as if I was doing them by hand. It's, I'm still gonna go over every line with like actually what I'd use as a Q-tip dipped in olive oil. And I like trace out all the lines because I think that's just the easiest. I feel like the easiest way to awaken a name is by drawing and writing the name. You know what I mean? Like those activities go together. So I generally like consecrate while I'm going. And then the next thing I'm doing is just sealing. Right. And I think, I really think treating them like people and not like objects is kind of the like magic secret sauce to yeah. magical item making, which I don't think is like controversial. Right. I think actually everybody thinks that. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. I mean, any, any of my wards, any of my amulets, it, like, you know, that you, if you're out and you're in the backyard and you're by your apple tree and you have your, you know, image of yourself there and you're like, Hey me, how are you doing? Pulling all those hexes over to you. Right. Or whatever. Right. right? Exactly. Exactly. Here's a I little bit of whiskey. <laughs> I work magic like a four-year-old basically. Like I would also say hello to Mr. Apple tree and let, you know, which I think, again, I think is actually how everybody does. Magic. Yeah. Well, anybody that's been, I mean, maybe not, I'm sure there are people who don't. It's hard. It's hard to imagine being such an animist, though. You know, where like like the stone that I pick up when I'm out walking has a spirit that I talk to. You know, like it's yeah, right. The, but the, tr the tree you're working with has a spirit. The you know exactly, you get a yeah, it just you get does. a new wand and you start working with it, and all of a sudden it starts talking to you, and you're like, oh hey, yeah, exactly, going? exactly. Right? I really and the, I also think of it as kind of like a just a general lifestyle. Like if something is a person and you treat it like an object. That's like not an okay way to treat people. But if something <laughs> is an object and you treat it like a person, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of avenues for harm there. You know what I mean? Like there is an amount of like Pascal wager, like, uh, like is this weird little plastic piece of trash actually a person? 
seems better to treat it as such. And by doing so, I maybe use less random pieces of plastic trash in my life. <laughs> you know, like, I think there's just like yeah. a, like a, an ethical component to animism as well as like a magical and just like, anyway, yeah. so I don't mean to get all preachy about it. My nun habit is in the wash, so I'm not allowed to preach today. <laughs> <laughs> Them's the I like how you intertwine it all those things. Make it all so magical really <laughs> i just be me. like to me it's just me being me yeah. like there's not i can't like put i don't have like little silos at times in my life where like the nature of my life did not permit things to be so integrated like when there was like a sarah who was at work and a sarah right. who was at grad school and a sarah who was a witch i was very bad at that <laughs> like, yeah. they all just bled together and so now I've just fully given up on, there's just the one me doing me things all the time. Much easier, really. Right? And Definitely much more for me. heartfelt and very That's real. what I really. think. I think so as well. But I've been talking to other people. I understand that that can feel very vulnerable. Like I am very like, open like all my vulnerable spots are like fully on display all the time so like I, I can understand reasons why people might not want to do that but I'm just like I'm actually legitimately bad at not being myself like there's just a <laughs> limit to how long I can keep my mouth shut and like pretend to be normal <laughs> I'm like not good at it like I I like I got a lot of weirdo friends who appear to just be able to like pass for normal indefinitely, but I can't really. Oh geez, because you have the like green skin background, the bottle is just like invisible. <laughs> I, I do my own form of magic over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm 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 not good at passing for normal. Like I feel like like that like normal like picket fences suburbs thing was like not an option that was ever available to me yeah like it's not but, like i was like oh no i'm too cool for that i'm like not cool enough for that i guess yeah you have a hard time sitting down and talking about the weather and what happened on the football game <laughs> i mean i i could talk about the weather so long weather is super cool but it turns out that people who talk about the weather don't actually want to talk about weather <laughs> yeah because I have opinions about weather. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were just we were just talking to somebody about weather magic the other day. So it was, mm -hmm. you know, we have we have lots of opinions there too. Right. <laughs> and, but, yeah. but when you're talking to normal people about the weather, they don't want to hear about you summoning the four Greek winds and how that turned mm -hmm. out for you. <laughs> right? My mother was a weather worker, and she said that like over the course of her lifetime like weather magic got much less predictable, something that she blamed on like global climate destabilization. Interesting. So I don't do a lot of weather magic, partly for that reason. I do think that like maybe the weather's fucked up enough that we don't need to fuck it up more. <laughs> That's fair. Well, and then you have all of the human intervention now where we're, you know, we're causing rain and things like that. And right. So well, and I mean, also where I live in Pittsburgh, like it's not that I never would, but I mean, I don't live a place where we have like, weather emergencies right like I don't have like I mean we have drought 
like maybe the grass gets a little brown. We don't have like fire season kind of weather and we get blizzards, but we don't get like 15 feet of snow kind of blizzards. We get hurricanes, but I mean, they're just like real bad thunderstorms. You know what I'm saying? Like in an emergency situation, I probably would do some weather magic, but I'm not going to do weather magic just because like, I would like it to be a different weather than it is. That's my position on the matter because I just feel like there is a big chance of like fucking it all up in a way that like weather is already broken so absolutely I could I could agree with that the only time I've ever actually participated in weather magic was during drought times so I I, I can I I, I definitely did some weather magic when I was a kid like, I have definitely summoned storms just to get out of tests. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, man, is it? Like, now, looking back as an adult, that's, like, maybe not the most ethical thing I've ever done. But I, I didn't, maybe didn't, like, think through the consequences of it as a 13-year-old. You but, know? you know, that's for any of us that started doing things early. You know, there, Yeah, you know, exactly. We, like, you know, like, I started when I was 11. I can guarantee you there's some spells that I would have done either completely differently or not done at all <laughs> looking back on my past, right? So, I, you know, it's, 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 the, it's the maturity, it's the maturing yeah, thing. Like, and, yeah, I mean, everybody does dumb shit when they're young. And I will say, like... I don't know. Having taught high school and like observed young people, my young and dumb was like maybe less dumb than some young people. That's fair. You know, like, like I will, I don't feel like there's anything I did that I like am deeply ashamed of. You know, like I definitely never tried to hurt people. That's not true. But the people I hurt, <laughs> like, genuinely deserved it. Like they were bad people who were hurting lots of other people. And I don't, I don't feel that morally completely bad. But in terms of like dumb, the other, okay, relatively recently, I'm teaching this course on Solomonic Pentacles. And in the Venus lesson, I was like going back through, I remembered like the first Solomonic Pentacle I had ever made. And I made it like in my like book of shadows when I was like 14. And I, I found that book and I was flipping through it and on this Venus pentacle, I have a little sticker of the helm of awe, which for like people who are listening, if you don't know what that is, it's like a Norse bind rune. Yeah, yeah, that one right there, right? <laughs> um, and it goes with the, it goes with a particular rune poem that like I don't remember off the top of my head, but it says something like, I have never met my match. I alone am the fucking coolest. <laughs> I mean, that's not exactly how it goes, but something like that, right? Yeah. And I put that sticker next to a pentacle designed to draw lovers. And I will neither confirm nor deny that, like, I'm too cool for everyone in the world is like a very accurate summary of my love life. <laughs> <laughs> not the best. I mean, now I'm a nun. <laughs> like I'm, I'm kind of leaning in and out, but I looked at it and I thought about unweaving that page. And then I decided that if I had to choose between a partner and a helm of awe, I'd rather have a helm of awe. But like, I don't know why I did that. I don't, I think it was because they were both round and looked cool. 
Like, I actually think that was my reasoning. Like, yeah. oh, well, this is circular and looks cool. And this is also circular and looks cool. So I'm going to put them together. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, and then the other thing that the Eggie can do that a lot of people don't realize is, I believe it's in one of the Galder box, it actually says that it will make you irresistible in battle. And so it can actually cause people to um, like have issue with you and want to start confrontation with you just because you're there and you can. And like, I got this tattoo when I was really young, right? Because I have Norse heritage. I was doing a lot mm -hmm. of Norse magic at the time, working through the Galdrabach, trying out different things to see what worked for me. And, and, you know, I realized that when I had it, I was really, really protected. But then I realized, you know, like a year after that, since I got it, all of a sudden, you know, I'm getting into confrontations at work. And I'm like, mm -hmm. why is it that no matter where I am, somebody has to like, think that I'm better than them, or I'm portraying myself as better than them. And, you know, so now that's one that I might have not maybe done quite the same way that I did. <laughs> yeah, same. And again, that's an accurate description of my love life is like, maybe I'm just yeah. picking a fight all the time for no reason. I didn't yeah. think I was doing that. But yeah, I think, and that's what I mean. Like, I think we all make those kind of mistakes when we're beginning, especially for those of us who were like young when we started and like, I mean, I don't know, you got a cool mom, so maybe this wasn't you. I didn't like have, like, I was just like piecing together little pieces. I was like, well, I learned this from a fairy tale and I learned this from a ghost. And this thing I saw in a movie once and it seemed cool. You know, like I didn't have like a coherent understanding of anything. I was just like, that seems cool. I'm gonna do that. But also like, and then a tree told me to do this. So I did it, which I gotta say, trees have rarely led me astray. Like ghosts, those can't always be trusted. But, oh no, there is this one tree in the park who's just a dick. <laughs> <laughs> like my friend's four-year-old was like, oh no, that tree is mean. And I went over and I was like, she's right, like, that tree, I don't know why. Yeah. except that it's like it's right at the entrance of the park so it's probably the one that like everybody leaves their trash under and like every dog pees on it and <laughs> yeah i'd, I'd be angry too mean if i lived there too <laughs> yeah, it's like a grumpy old man tree sure yeah that's uh, and, and make, for people that are listening you know may, maybe go and start making friends with your trees in your yard because you know that, oh yeah 100 that's a really 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 good yeah. relationship to have <laughs> especially if you can find grown-up trees like a weird fact about our culture is that like actually most trees in our world get killed before they actually reach tree maturity so like particularly if you can find big old trees but at least where I live in the city, those are like not that easy to find. They really like, aren't. And they're, they're always ripped down and then replanted as soon as they start to get to that maturity. It's yeah, exactly. So if you can find you big come out to my forest. Yes, please. I got some good old guys out there. I mean, I have big ones, but not like walking distance from, I mean, I live in the city. So yeah. I have like two full grown trees and then a yard full of trees that are seven years old because I planted them seven years ago. <laughs> I have the 20 acre woods. It's pretty delightful. <sighs> Exciting. Yeah. All right. I mean, I think we've established on this call. Yeah, I'm you're in. With you. Like, I think it's decided. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll pack a bag. 
we'll take you and we'll show you the awesome Canadian Rockies and all of the fun spirits you can interact with out there. I mean, I'm not going to lie. This week is looking like a good time to move to Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What the hell is going on down there? It's like you guys just went back to the 1820s. (laughs) Okay. We weren't going to go there. Yeah. I I don't want to get too political, but I will say like, I don't, I wish I could say that this was a surprise, but I mean, I feel like I've been telling everybody that this is the direction we we're going for like 20 years. And now people are like, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. And I'm like, well, they've been saying this whole time that was their goal. So I don't know why you like didn't believe them. Because you can't believe they actually would. Like it just, it's. Oh, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, no, no, it is we, not. Good. We, we won't go there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just, anyway, we'll just point is, leave that. <laughs> Moving to Canada seems pretty, pretty promising. Well, this week. Yeah, this week. <laughs> we, we can't guarantee much. Further. Yeah, we can't guarantee what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, also, well. I did hear about those piles of snow in May, which that right? doesn't sound a hundred percent great. But when you go out and you talk to the, the snow, you just say oh yeah, you're still here because we have no bugs. We have no rats. We have no snakes. And you sing a little ditty about it. And it's okay. Except for snakes. I do like snakes. I like snakes too. But I'll tell you, I went to Hawaii, what was it, three years ago? And I was really thankful for our climate here. I ran into one of those cane spiders and it was like that fucking big. I absolutely lost my shit. You know, up here we get these little like I don't even know if you know what a loony is, but it's like a very small coin, right? That's a big spider for us here. So when I was in Hawaii, I was like crying. It was so bad. Oh yeah, same. We don't have, I guess every (laughs) once in a while we have wolf spiders that are maybe like that big. But no, we don't have like, yeah, I mean, we don't have giant, terrible monster spiders here either. Yeah, like I won't I mean, even work, I won't even work with spider totem. Not 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 even looking at that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't have any objection to spiders particularly. <laughs> like they're rats on the other hand kind yeah. of freak me out. I'm like not. That's for whatever reason. Like I'm not saying I hate them or I want to exterminate them or anything, but like maybe they stay in their place and I'll stay in my place and if I never have to think about the fact that they exist, yeah. that would be fine by me. Yeah, like, they don't need to live near us. It's good. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not into rodents. They they kind of <laughs> creep. I mean, not in a like I'm gonna scream and lose my shit if I see one. Oh, I will. I mean, but they're not. They're not my favorite. Like I, I don't want one like crawling on me. Although I do have a ferret that lives in my house now. <sighs> my daughter brought home a ferret, so that was a big learning curve for Mama. Yeah, I mean, I have lived with a ferret at one point. I had a roommate with one. It's yeah. a whole nother gig. It, it was not my top choice of pet. I, <laughs> I look forward to them moving out. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe they'll grow on you. Well, it's been a year. I've done well. well but so maybe not. <laughs> I won't miss him. I won't miss him when he moves out. I, I will give, pack him a little bag of goodies and say, see you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, see and we're, we're supposed to love these animals as witches i do love him but i will love him better when he lives in his own home <laughs> snakes i love i have a pet snake uh like we have snakes outside i do genuinely love snakes i got no beef with like spiders or bats 
but oh rats. no bats flying rodents there's nothing worse they're, on the planet they're not my but rats are really where the like i'm gonna tell okay so um, my dad worked in a rental office when i was a kid and that meant that like sometimes i sat in a rental office as a kid and there was this one tenant named kang who was a cambodian refugee and he would tell stories about like having lived in that Cambodian refugee camp. And I'm going to remind you that I'm like six years old when I heard him tell a story about how the rats were so big, somebody had to stay up at night because otherwise they would eat the children's toes off. No, And that's a story I heard when I was six. And I'm pretty sure that's why I'm like freaked out about rats. Like every, mm, oh, that's so Give me the willies. Like I can't, yeah, oof. Yeah, so bad. I, I can understand that. Yeah, that <laughs> that sure. really got to me as a kid. Really, a lot of those stories about Cambodia. Like, I'm glad I was not in a Cambodian refugee camp, I guess is what I will say. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, like, oof, I heard a lot of rough stories about it as a kid. Yeah, yeah. So what else do you got going on the burner there? You got, you've always got something interesting going on. Um, my class on Solomon at Pentacles is nearing its conclusion. Um, I have an introduction to witchcraft class, which we just did a lesson on sigils and we're gonna start planetary magic in a couple weeks. What else do I have? Oh, oh, June. I'm gonna look at my calendar because I don't know <laughs> what day, June 12th. Sunday, June 12th, I am leading ritual at the Hills and River uh, Summer Fest, which is near State College, Pennsylvania. So that's a, like people can look it up, Hills and Rivers. Um, it's my first time leading a big public ritual since COVID. So I'm really happy and excited about it because things keep getting canceled and I miss, like I do miss those big festivals. And we're all tired of it and we just yeah, want to get back right? to doing the fun. Right. It's so fun that it's all starting again, though. It's yeah, like, I, I think, I think, I mean, I don't think we're going to have a quite a real festival season this summer, but like things are starting and I think by now um, we'll be back to. What do you find, how do you find your energy level now that you are heading out into doing these things when we, since we haven't done them in a good two years, how are your energy levels when you do these things and how do you protect that and keep it up if I see for me, I like, I dread them as I'm coming up. I'm like, oh my God, there's going to be other people. But then once I'm actually there and doing it, I'm like super high on extroversion. And then I come home and just crash right. because I'm like not used to, I'm like jonesing for humans so much that I'm like super high energy while I'm actually around people. Yeah. But also I feel like I've just like forgotten how to person in public right i oh, think we all have i think so but that's what i'm saying everybody else has too so it's totally. working it's kind of cool <laughs> everybody's really like like we've all forgotten how to be like pretentious and affected and fake and everybody like we all forgot how to do that and now we just be authentic in public which is kind of cool it seems better it really but, it, but it does feel like peopling is hard going back and peopling i find it's yeah. it, it's weird i like forgot how it works sorry for yeah. the trade noise i live near train tracks that's all good yeah it's it's crazy like we just went i took the kids to go to comic-con the other week and it was so packed with people and by the end of it we were all like oh my god all my energy is gone what the heck just happened we are not used to this <laughs> i'm touched out <laughs> I like about festivals is, you know, 
especially when you're presenting at a festival, you like get that energy back, right? Where like when you teach on Zoom, you're just kind of like screaming into the void. And like, sure, some people ask some questions, but it's not like, there's no like energy reciprocation. Like I still have to put out all that energy, but really nothing comes back. Right, I agree. Right? Yeah. When I'm presenting at a festival, I'm like, oh my God, applause. I forgot how cool that is. Yeah. They like me. Like, I know I'm supposed to be over it and not care, but like, I do enjoy that like infusion of extrovert energy from like, you know, effectively performing. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm happy to get back to it. Yeah, so that's it. my first one. And then I think I have something, I don't know if people look at my website, they can see the whole calendar. I know I should know this, but I don't, but that's the next one. You have people and you have a calendar. It's all good. Yes, right? like, <laughs> that's, that's what it's for. That's why we have websites. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, these are all still, I don't have any big, I think the next like big in-person thing I have is the Northwest Tarot Symposium in October. Cause okay. you know, in addition to doing this, which for higher stuff, I also um, co-own a digital tarot publishing company. So we're doing that. Oh yeah, like you we bought make... the Fool's Dog, right? Uh-huh, yep. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Great yep. company. <laughs> yeah, things, yeah. Are, things are going well there. It's starting to like, you know, the transition itself was a little bumpy. Um, because, you know, because ever, I mean, transitions are always bumpy, right? Yeah. But it seems like it's, it's sort of like um, smoothing out. And so things are, so hopefully we'll, I'm probably not supposed to say this yet, but fingers crossed we should start putting out new decks pretty soon. Oh, very cool. Fine. That's awesome. I'm excited about it. Yeah. See, there's always so many things to Sarah Masters. Well, I just get bored if I do the same thing all the time. So I always want to have a lot of balls in here because then I can procrastinate by doing something else. <laughs> That's you fair. know what I mean? Like if I'm stuck on one project, I can just move to a different one. I just and have also, like a hundred ongoing projects at all times because my ADHD kicks in and I forget that I have them on the go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I both have like... <laughs> maybe like real projects that is to say projects I'm going to finish but I also have like tons of like things I'm not going like I know like I also have probably nine novels outlined that between you and me I'm never going to write because <laughs> outlining was like the only fun part <laughs> That's so, I, or I maybe in I, your 80s you'll go back to them or something maybe, I mean I don't know I feel like Honestly, I feel like for most projects, like the beginning part is really fun. And then there's this part at the end where you have to like do all the boring parts. So like in writing, like the editing and like, yeah. I'm not that into those parts. Like truthfully, I, I kind of have to get paid to do that. Like, 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 <laughs> like outlining a book, I do that for free. That's really fun. Even like teaching, like I'll happily do that. But if I got to like, actually make like slides that aren't riddled with typos or like edit a book i, I gotta get paid for that it's like i'm not that's not gonna happen <laughs> that's fair. totally fair. I like that i mean i don't know about you guys i i still find it like insane that people pay me 
<laughs> it's so weird to me that I'm a professional witch. Like, that's not a real job. I mean, obviously it is a real job. We were just talking about how historically it's clearly a real job. But like yeah. my guidance counselor did not believe that was a real job. <laughs> and it turns out it's like a real job. Like we're doing it. So it's, yeah. it's, it's gotta be real, right? I know a lot of people who are doing it actually. Yeah. And I know a lot of them that are successful. So, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely keeping the lights on just doing this. I mean, I don't, I don't have like a, a secret. It's not like I'm also a bank teller or something. Like I don't have, a real, <laughs> I'm, I'm deeply committed to my no real job lifestyle. Truthfully, I'm, I'm pretty solid in it. Like yeah. I, I would not. Why wouldn't you be? You, you get to live the dream, right? <laughs> yeah, I think you're living the dream, sir. Thank you. Are. I, I have you. I mean, I, I feel that way too. Like I, yeah. and it's strange. <laughs> it's still. I keep thinking, like, hmm, when is the other shoe gonna drop? But no, like, uh, I really, I have very few complaints. Honestly, like, almost everything in my life is going great. Like, I, I really do. I know, like. Like hashtag blessed, but I, I really feel that way. Like I'm happy with how my life is. There are not, I mean, there are things that could be better in my life, but the truth is like, I don't dislike them enough to do anything. Like they could actually be better if I were to do something about them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like would I like to date more? Not enough to like brush my hair and leave my house. So, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like, that might be a like thing. If, yeah. If Mr. Wright showed up in my living room, I'd like possibly be open to that, but not really. Like, actually, <laughs> I say that, but that has occurred maybe twice in the last three years where Mr. Wright showed up in my living room and I was like, eh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay being a nun. This is great. <laughs> so for everybody awesome. out there which none is totally a viable lifestyle choice and it's amazing highly yeah. recommended <laughs> highly recommended not well, for I, young people though yeah, young people should go have some adventures first and then they can be an old lady nun like me and just a testament to your magical magnetism, you know, like I always joke with people that want to hire me for like a love spell or an attraction spell or something. And I'm like, well, you, you know, you're gonna have to get up off your couch and get out, get out of your house and, you know, like maybe go out and do things. And so you just broke my rule. You, you completely. Well, I mean, I do, I do go out and right. I mean, I, I giant festivals where I present in front of hundreds of people at a time, but also when I first moved into this house, I put four couches in a circle. And people were like, that's weird. But now basically every social event in my social circle happens in my living room, which I feel like is every adult's dream. Like, like I go to every party in my pajamas because they're all at my house. Yeah. That's awesome. And yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a total hobbit. Like I never want to go anywhere. Oh, especially I just got back from a trip to Seattle, which was not a good I mean, not the visiting, but the actual, like, every flight I went on was, like, turbulent. I lost my ID. Oh, which, no. Well, here's a fun fact. It's surprisingly easy to get on an airplane with no drivers, with no ID. Actually, like, I, they just, I mean, I should have realized that, like, I'm not the only person who's ever lost my purse while out of town. Yikes. That's scary, though. Hey, It, it was, but I called, and they were ah. like, oh, no, it happens all the time. So, 
if, if for anybody listening, like what happens is you just have to show up early and you ask for a TSA manager and they're just like, okay, stand here and wait. But honestly, the amount of time I waited was less time than it would have taken me to get through that security line. And then they just like ask you some questions. They're like, what's your birthday? What's your social security number? What's your previous address? What's your mom's birthday? Which apparently a lot of people don't know your mom's birthday. So heads up, people know so your mom's Learn birthday. your mom's birthday. <laughs> right. Hey, um, you. And that, that, was basically, you know. <laughs> that was basically it. Like then they just put me on an airplane. Very easy. Nice. What was hard was checking a bag without a credit card. Like they would not take cash. Oh, interesting. I signed up for the airline credit card and they took that. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was, I didn't anticipate them not taking cash. This yeah. Sorry, I hate to blow my nose on camera. Oh, it's all good. <laughs> all good. Yeah, I, there seems to be a thing about Seattle. Every time I go through Seattle, there's a problem there. You know, I've never had, I got there a lot because my godmother lives there from whom I bought this tarot company. So I'm actually back and forth a lot. I mean, I guess she lives in Olympia, but you know, normally I fly Alaska Airlines and like shout out, actually Alaska Airlines has always done right by me, but their pilots are picketing and like, I'm not going to cross a picket line. So I ended up with American and I encourage everyone to never take an American Airlines flight. Every single interaction I had with them was terrible. Also, look, all airplane seats are too small for my fat ass, but these seats, like normal adults did not fit in them. They were insanely small and it was like me and this big dude and another like regular side. It was a very uncomfortable flight. Also on my flight there, they seated me next to a literal Nazi, like straight up swastika tattoo Nazi. Wonderful. Anyway, sorry. to <laughs> That must have got colorful. It was, I don't, I mean, I just like, you know, in my brain, I understood like he doesn't know that you're a Jewish freak, which just be quiet and sit there, Sarah, like keep your head on. And like, but it just made me, it was just like super anxious about it. And also, as you might expect, he was also a jerk. Hmm. Unsurprisingly, like for example, egregious man spreading. Like he took up a seat and a half because he's a jerk, but of course he's a jerk because he has a swastika tattoo. And that's just like a label that says like, by the way, I'm an asshole. <laughs> anyway sorry to complain so as of right now i never want to leave my house again <laughs> like this trip i don't know if i like offended the airline gods but really everything about flying this time was just awful <laughs> I, say, I mean objectively nothing happened it's not like my flight went down or anything it was mildly uncomfortable and inconvenient. And I'm like such a prima donna that somehow it being uncomfortable and inconvenient, I'm like, oh, fuck the whole world. God's hate me. But like, obviously, as I mentioned, hashtag blessed, it was inconvenient and uncomfortable. <laughs> as airline travel is wont to be. But I got to look out a window and be above the clouds, which like, Super I know cool. I'm supposed to be jaded to, but I never am. Every time I'm in an airplane, I'm like, holy shit, I'm flying in the sky. And it's every time, it's like mind blowing for me. I'm See, like, I love that you do take everything like a four-year-old. It's just so I'm, super I'm, cool. I'm just very immature. <laughs> I'm <laughs> in 
wishing that other people look out a window and are like, oh yeah, those are clouds down there. Pfft, whatever. I'm going to go back to my magazine. <laughs> I mean, I understand some people fly all the time, but still you're like above the clouds. Yeah. Oh, yo, here's a pro tip. One time on an airplane, I was like, I'm going to travel out of body and like bounce on the clouds. Oh, yo, that was a bad idea because when I came back, my body was like very far away from when I left it. I was like, oh, I mean, it was fine. I'm like a grown up witch. I mean, I found it, but there was a moment where I was like, oh, fuck, where'd my body go? Because it went very far. Like airplanes, you don't always appreciate how fast you're going until you're out of your body for 10 minutes and you come back and you're like 300 miles away. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, I was in Pittsburgh an hour ago and now I'm in Chicago. So I guess pro tip, maybe stay in your body on an airplane. That's a a great tip for the listeners. They're going to love that one. (laughs) It was cool jumping on the clouds though. It was cool. But yeah, I'm, I'm really just like a, a chibi caricature of a human being, basically. (laughs) I think that's why we love you so, Sarah. Thank you. I I really do find most things like delightful. (laughs) That's a great attitude to have. And it makes, it makes everything so much better. I mean, what, why would you want to be all grumpy all the time? If you can just enjoy everything. I mean, I know (laughs) I'm supposed to be all like Buddhist, like life is suffering, but And I I understand that for many people, that is true. Like I do try and remain like very cognizant of my extreme like luckiness. And I do try and like leverage my luck for other people. But the world seems great to me. And if I get to choose, I would like to sign up to just do this again. This has been good. Yeah. Like I could do this again many more lifetimes. It's great. I like it here. Yeah. I wish my hip hurt less. But again, not enough to do anything about it. Like if I, for example, actually went swimming four times a week instead of the one time a week I manage, probably it would be better. So. Yep, for sure. We all have the choices every day, right? I think so. But again, I, I try to remain cognizant that like, other people's choices are constrained by a number of factors that I I feel like a sad fact about the world is that the gods play favorites and is like clear to me that I am well favored in a way that I have done nothing to deserve like <laughs> I don't know why but actually clearly the gods just like me and like shower blessings upon me that I do not in any way deserve and I definitely see people out there like like I see people out there who are like clearly not well favored and like it is not their fault but like terrible things happened to them you know their parents were monsters and it just went downhill from there you know what I mean so I try and be cognizant and you know that thing where they say like god will never test you harder than you can bear I guess god knows that I'm like very weak (laughs) things mostly just don't happen to me so probably my next life will be 
terrible. Like, I'll probably have to make up for, I'm probably using <laughs> up like many lifetimes worth of good luck now. <laughs> but you know, I'll cross that bridge when I get there. That's right. For sure. <laughs> you know, maybe you'll just come back as a cat and then, you know, you get to live life all happy and carefree again. <laughs> no, weirdly, I've been told by many spirits that this is my first human lifetime, which I don't like think would be true. I don't know. I have no like conception of I can barely like understand the world that I'm actually looking at. So like, I don't have real strong opinions on like what happens after I'm dead, but I assume it's so different from this that like, I couldn't understand it while I'm person shaped anyway. Like, like even communicating with trees is hard. So communicating with something that like, just doesn't have a body at all, like, I'm very cognizant that like, I'm always projecting my own human shaped bias into conversations I have with non-human things. Absolutely. Right? And I assume the other way too. I assume when that tree talks to its tree friends, like it just thinks I'm like a weird tree who like, it doesn't really understand why I'm being human-y and it probably doesn't even notice. You know what I mean? I guess what I'm saying is it describes me in tree metaphor, just like I'm describing it in human metaphor, I assume, yeah. but I don't, I try hard to like not have opinions about like the ultimate reality of how the universe works because. And I don't think any of us can really, it's, it's so big and broad. I mean, all you have to do is have one really good acid trip in your life and you know, there's way more out there than you can understand. Right. Right. Like. And <laughs> I'm always, it does seem really comforting. Like I will say, like I, I didn't grow up like religious or whatever, but like there is an amount of like, it seems that there are people who are confident they know how the world works. And yeah, that seems sure like it would probably be great, but it must not be because those people all appear to be miserable. Like objectively, they appear to not be living good. You know what I mean? Like the people who are most like rigidly sure they understand everything appear to be miserable. So it must not be comforting, but it seems like it would be not having to make decisions for yourself, that seems good. I always like to do nothing. That's my favorite <laughs> thing to do is nothing. <laughs> if it's all in the plan, you're already good to go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, it has been absolutely oh, wonderful it's talking so to you again, here, Sarah. I just looked at the time and we're going like way We're doing awesome. So I noticed that you have a lot of new um, services on your website under your for purchase. So it uh, looks like people can pretty much get just about anything done by you now, which is super cool. So hopefully it's true. Uh, I will say truthfully, like if you want to purchase something from me, the best thing to do is send me like instead of picking off the list. Really, what happens is people ask me for something and I make up something custom for them. And then I just put it on the website for if somebody wants that. But it's always better. Just That's like, if you cool. just email me, I'm happy to like have a conversation and work out something exactly for people. Um, but I also try, you know, I've been making a lot of like 
lessons. So from my point of view, hashtag why I'm not a millionaire. Like I would much rather sell you a $20 like lesson on how to make bowls than I would to sell you like a $300 bowl. Now I know theoretically I should want to sell you a $300 bowl that takes me two hours and not a $20 lesson that took me like a month to write. (laughs) But I just generally like I would rather people make their own magic. So also anything. I love that that you just share that. You share your knowledge so others can just do. I love that. I genuinely believe that information wants to be free. Like I, I know, I know people say that in like a casual sense, but I really mean it in a like, like as part of my dedication to, to she of liminality and learning, I, I really want, I prefer people to know things. And you know what, if I won the lottery, I would happily teach for free. Like I keep my prices as low as I can and be able to not have a real job. Like if I didn't have to, like if I just had a pile of money, I wouldn't charge for the teaching at all. Although weirdly, I don't know if you guys have noticed this. I used to run classes for free. And so my classes are all free for people who live in my county, FYI. Like that's my, if you're in my community, you learn free people like far away pay. But it turns out, that people who like when I made them free, nobody came. Very true. I, I've I don't. Had the same I issue. still don't understand. But like, I used to teach Introduction to Witchcraft for free, and like one person would show up. And now I teach Introduction to Witchcraft when it's local for like 10, 15 bucks, and I have like thirty people in the room. Yeah, they need the commitment. And it's I a thing. Yes, I don't. I don't know how that works, but that's my experience. We've run into that with so many things. Oh, let's just do a free one this week. And then nobody shows up. Nobody comes up when they're. And, you know, like every time that we try and do a promo for something like, here you go, here's a free class for you. You know, everybody else is paying this much. This is like a scholarship you can have. They're always the ones that either they don't show up at all, or they're the ones that you have troubles with because something goes wrong. Right. Remember I was saying my dad worked in a rental office. That meant we had a lot of free furniture that people left in their apartments that we were trying to get rid of. And my dad said that if you put it on a curb with a sign that said free, no one would take it. But if you put it on the curb with a sign that said $10, somebody would definitely steal it. Yes. (laughs) And like that. Yeah. The human mind. Our culture is so fucked up. It really is. Absolutely. I don't. what What has capitalism done to us? It's so like. Yeah. Sorry, I'm always turning everything into politics. <laughs> it's okay. The, the, anybody just turning on the news at, right now can just see how fucked the world is. So <laughs> there's just not. That's why I don't. This. That's why we have a rule where there's no news at work anymore. <laughs> Very reasonable. That's a good rule. I like that rule. All right. All right this has right. been delightful, we're, we're Sarah. Yeah, Once it's always again. fun to talk to you guys. I'm happy always to come so back fun. and talk like whenever. I know we'll have to see again. I, yeah, right. I totally I very good. much enjoyed talking to you guys. It was awesome. So thank you for having You're me. The best. Yeah, right back at you. And, and we will absolutely <laughs> love to have you back. And for any of our listeners who are listening to this, please check out Sarah's classes. She's an amazing teacher. Um, you will not yep. regret it. She is a wealth of knowledge and is able to explain things in a, a very layperson way that almost anybody can get, which is one of the things that I super respect about Sarah. And 
follow her on Facebook if she'll let you because she always shares awesome, cool tidbits there for free. Which it is- will always let you, <laughs> but like if we don't have a lot of mutual friends, I might not hit accept. Just send me a message so I know you're like a person and not a wicked robot and then I will accept you. <laughs> Perfect. And so yeah, this has been a great episode and thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for having me. Bye everybody. Thank <laughs> you.